0: From the NFL, we know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head
1: coach. To the NBA, Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football, the Pac-12 got how many teams
0: in the top 25?
1: And so much more. Watson needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout
0: could be coming to a close.
1: The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise.
0: I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke.
1: And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game,
0: it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done.
1: This is A Drink of Wisdom.
0: Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Nathan Drinkard, I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. Uh, Cody Ward's on assignment tonight. He will not be with us, but he'll be back next week. As a reminder to our listeners, we're on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. We're also on our new YouTube channel. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Just search Drink of Wisdom. You'll find us. What's going on, Drink? Let's talk some sports, baby. Mm -hmm. In episode 71, ESPN drops an exclusive NBA list. Major League Baseball and the NBA work to get reopened and we discussed Brett Favre's comments on the Aaron Rodgers-Jordan Love situation. But first, we want to look back on episodes 7 and 8 of The Last Dance before this weekend's final two episodes. This past Sunday finally got to the big controversy surrounding Jordan's first retirement to play baseball during the 1994 season after his father's death. We also followed the Bulls during their brief stint without Michael, and then, of course, followed them them after he said, I'm back. Episode 8 also got to the infamous fight between Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan, and route to their fourth championship in 1996. So drink. what stuck out to you from these two episodes? Well, you know, like we
1: usually been doing um, in the past, uh, you know, I took three key points from uh, episode seven and eight. Um, my first point was, was Michael Jordan really a jerk? Or was he? And I, I think about it like this. I understand in today's workforce, we have different arenas, let's say. You, you can't act the same way in sports as they act on Wall Street, or you can't act the same way in child services as they act in sports. You can't act the same way in the military as they, you know, they do um, in, in sports. So, so my point of saying all that is this, do I think Jordan was a little rough? Maybe, but this is sports. One thing he said in that documentary that was very true, when it comes at a cost, it just does. And if you come in here like the average Joe, that's how you get treated like the average Joe. A lot of talent that came through, very good talent that came through, but they was like, eh, they was meh. Jordan had a certain expectation of himself which in return, he had a certain expectation of you when you was on the team with him playing. All right, so he, he crossed the line. He called, you know, people some bees, called them garden holes. You know, you weak, you soft. He kind of bullied you. He... This is the game of sports. If you actually knew how the average coach talked to the average player, you would be amazed. Bobby Knight would look like he belonged in the Vatican's, if you knew how these coaches taught the players. You have to, it's sports. Michael knew this, as long as I'm willing to do what I'm barking out to other players, at some point this other player is gonna see the realness in my, in my heart, in my eyes, in my words, and they're gonna come along. And like us as the media, we want to nitpick Jordan. We want to say, oh, he was such a terrible uh, teammate. He put his hands on team uh, players. He, he cussed out the coach. He talked about the GM. Listen, after this documentary, it actually, before the documentary, I thought Jordan was a tyrant. Like, he just went around, just, just treat people like trash just because he was the best player in the world, most popular player in the world, whatever the case might be. That wasn't even Nick. He seemed to be a very, very good guy when he wasn't on the court. So that, it just seemed like he was a very competitive guy, okay? And 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 one thing in particular was the altercation with Steve Kerr. We, we hit on this. We couldn't wait to get around to it to see what happened. If I, If my hearing is correct, what I heard was he said something to Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr pushed him. In the chest, and then he he hit him with he punched him in the eye. Well, that seemed like two competitors going at it. That don't seem like Jordan trying to beat up Steve Kerr and give him the, the business. I just felt like it was two competitors. Steve Kerr was fairly new. Jordan felt like, listen, you out here riding the wave from 91, 92, and 93, and you wasn't even on the team. Like I don't, you don't, you you have no stripes in this arena. You're gonna earn them. So yeah, Jordan pushed those guys. He said, come on with it. We play up here. I don't know where you have been playing before you got here, but I need you to come up here with me. So he got into it, but as we seen, he apologized right afterwards. He told Phil he was wrong, and we moved on. So my first point was, every Jordan, I don't think he was that as bad as a, a, of a teammate as people made him look. It was just, he was in competitor. And you, we heard what he said. He even, he shared a tear when he said it. He said, if you're okay with being mediocre, that's you. But I gave the game what I had. And if you was going to play with me, you was going to give it what you had, too. And that's it. So if that made him a bad guy, then so be it. Um, my second point is, hey, James Jordan never left uh, Jordan's side. Uh, James Jordan... Uh, the late father of Michael Jordan, very big inspiration. We know what happened. Um, unfortunately, he he died. The two guys came up to rob him. They killed him. Um, and it, it had a big effect on Michael. Now, I won't say he retired because of his father, death, but I will say it had an effect because if you actually listen to what, what Michael was saying in the in the documentary, he had made his mind up to retire before his dad died. Him and his dad actually talked about what he was going to do when he played baseball. They was planning on, you know, doing, you know, moving on to the future, playing baseball a little bit. Just hit the reset button, what, what might have you. And then he died. And a lot of people say, oh, wait, well, he retired because his dad died. He retired. No, he, he retired because he was getting over it. He actually retired because the media was getting outrageous. That's why he retired. The media was trying to find anything they could say about the guy. Then, on top of all this trash, you're gonna go and blame his his father's murder on him. That's just taking it too far. So, you know, Michael said he had enough. He he retired. And the the uniqueness of this, the reason it stood out to me was because he goes and plays baseball. wasn't a terrible baseball player, but he went and followed his dream. Hit the reset button. I guess baseball came up to um, where they they came up to a strike during the time he was playing. He decided not to cross the picket line. He went back to basketball, but he was so used to his father because his father had been there with him from you know day one to the last day he played in 1993. So now he's this was the first time in his career that he was playing basketball again without his father. So. Now he got all these emotions and he don't have his father to lean on him. He don't have his best friend to talk to. He don't have a guy that he could confide in. So now he's basically, he, he's harnessing all this in. And we've seen it when he won uh, the, the, the title on Father's Day, that he was so filled with emotion, he couldn't even hide it. He couldn't even try to hide it. We've seen him crying on the floor. We've seen him rolling over. He was trying to get away from the camera. Man, did, could you imagine? Your dad being that much of an impact in your life, and then you had to go win the championship on Father's Day? A day where you usually give your father presents, let him know how much you thank him, how much you thank him, all the sacrifices he made for you, all the advice he gave for you, helping you from a, a little baby pooping on yourself up to where you you know the greatest player in the world, and you had to win a championship on that
0: day. So yeah, I that's thought a, that's yeah, very appropriate reaction.
1: Yeah, exactly. I thought that was very human of him. I thought that was a very, like you say, a very natural reaction. And it showed that, listen, we might think he a machine. We might think he a bold repro- approach. But listen, at the end of the day, that showed that he is just as human as you and I. So at the end of the day, I, I love to see that. And I thought that made him look good instead of making him look bad. Uh, like some people say, oh, he was crying, show he had a weakness. Man, stop it. Just because your your relationship with your father might not be that good, don't 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 try to drag him down. I thought that was um that was a very key point. Uh, and then my third takeaway was this: <laughs> Hey, everybody want to be Batman until it's time to be Batman. Mm. And I'm I'm referring to one Scottie Pippen. We we seen what he did at one point eight seconds against the New York Knicks. Uh, I want to say that was Game Three of the semifinals in in 1994 uh yeah so it is <laughs> everybody want to be Batman to his time listen at the end of the day this is this is definitely a bad look for Scotty i'm gonna tell you what this actually was under the radar as far as my knowledge until i seen it on this documentary i it was under my radar i maybe i overlooked it or i didn't like get to read into it I, but i it was under my radar I cannot believe for a player as good as Scotty was, for a player that was at the, at the peak of his career where, where Scotty was, you get mad because Phil drew up. You just watch Michael Jordan. Now, just hear me out. You just watched Michael Jordan decide, all right, I know Doug Collins was putting the ball in my hand, but hey, Phil, if you want me to run the triangle, and it works, then by God, i do it. And you see him change the way he played, the best player in the world, for the sake of winning. And then, because you feel like, I done waited my turn to be the star. I should take the last shot, because I'm the most dangerous player. And you don't like the play that, oh, I might add, has won games for you this very season, because Tony Cool Every Dillon, was a cold-blooded mother, watch your mouth, throughout the season, when it comes to game winners, you're going to get upset and say, hey, hey, you, go, you going in, pill? No, nah, I'm good. What? Leadership 101. What are we talking about here? This is how you're going to lead your team, by throwing a temporal tantrum on the bench when your your playoff career is hanging in the balance. You don't win this game. This, se- this series is pretty much over with, and you're going to sit there. Oh, oh, but you deserve the same praise as Michael, right? Oh, you deserve that better contract, right? So I just thought this was hard. But look, now, I, 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 I posed this question on Twitter, and I got some kickback. Um, uh, you know, guys say, well, if you're the best player, why wouldn't you have a ball in your hand? That's not the point. It, it, like, that's not the point. I, it's so many times that you watch an NBA game, the best player does not have the ball in their hand. It was a reason why he was going to be the guy that that was passing the ball in, why he was going to be the inbounder. Why? Because Phil feels that he was going to make the best decision as far as the passer to get the ball to Tony Kukoc. Okay, it was Tony Kukoc. It was his play to run. But you don't throw a fit. This is not how you be a leader. And this is when, I bet you, Scott said (laughs) – I wanna be, I wanna be like Mike. Maybe not so much, because <laughs> it's hard to deal with that pressure. We talk about Kyrie Irving all the time. Kyrie Irving wanted to leave Cleveland. Why? He wanted to be the man. How has that worked out for him so far? Not good. Not good. So, yeah, um, that one point eight seconds put some sour tastes in people's mouth about Scottie Pippen as a uh, as a Batman, anyway. He'll go down as probably the best Robin that ever played in the NBA, to be honest with you. But when it came to Batman, he, he did not do himself any favors. And it showed you it, that heavy is the head that wear the crown. Jordan wore the crown. His neck was hurting because he wore it so long. And then Scotty had to wear it for a season in and in a piece, and he fell apart. He had to go get neck surgery. So, that shows you, don't. Hey, the grass ain't always green on the other side. So, yeah, man, that, those was my three takeaways from Episode 7 and 8.
0: Yeah, a couple quick points on uh, Scottie Pippen and that uh, specific sequence that we're referring to in that, in that game when he essentially quit on his teammates, and that was the phrasing that was used from other guys, including Steve Kerr. Um, we gotta, we got to think about some other examples, and some of these including Michael Jordan, including I'm going back to just the season before when they clinched against the Suns, The game winning shot that clinched that series started with Michael giving the ball up. It goes to Scotty, it goes to Horace Grant and John Paxson ends up clinching that series. And then you want to, if you take it all the way back to Michael's first year in college, if you recall James Worthy and Sam Perkins were on those teams and were veteran players and went on to have great NBA careers. And, but in that national championship game against Georgetown and the final shot was drawn up for Michael. So we, There, there is, there is. And these are only two examples. There is precedent. It's not always your best player that takes the last shot, because when you're when you're talking coaching, when you're talking strategy, the other team knows who's the best player is. They know who they think is going to get the ball. And if you're if you're if you are if you're a Phil Jackson, if you're a Dean Smith, it would kind of be in your best interest to go against the grain every now and again, so to keep the defense off balance. And in a lot of the – in every one of these sequences that we're talking about, we're talking about the national title game in 83. We're talking about when the Bulls clinched their third straight title against Phoenix. And in this particular instance, Tony Kukoc hit this game winner. They all worked. So, I, I on, and I, I am going to say this in defense of Scotty. Scotty was in the shadow of Michael for a long time. He gets his opportunity to be in the spotlight. And then in this specific situation, he probably felt a little shortchanged, thought it was his time to get the last shot. but. Michael and Scotty two different players. Michael's Michael's best score that we've ever seen. Scotty Scotty's best trait was always his facilitating. He was a great passer. So perhaps that's another reason why you want him inbound the ball. And don't forget don't forget this point just a a basketball piece of knowledge. How many times have you heard this and this might not be applicable in this situation because of the limited time, but there is there is often in, a, in the last shot or the last possession, the most dangerous guy is the guy who inbounds the ball. The ball. Because yeah, the defense absolutely. isn't always paying attention to him. So those mm-hmm. was, th- th- that was just an interesting, Listen, interesting but, situation. See, yeah. one,
1: one thing I just wanted to say was, like you said, he spent a long time in the shadow of Michael Jordan. And you know what that, that, this decision made him do? Stay in the shadow mm-hmm. of Michael Jordan. That's exactly what it did.
0: And it's, Yeah, it it's, yeah it's, and this is definitely this is a huge stain like that and i think there was there was some commentary that was given like yeah he this is always going to haunt him like in in conversations down the road jordan like, said that yeah right he, yep yep he, he did. said it so that that was an interesting thing and just just like this was under the radar for you i did not know this there's a lot of there's a lot of different like notes and facts that i can remember from growing up from just reading books about michael jordan because that's I read at some points in my life, but this, yeah, this is definitely something I did not know and was surprised to learn, but just a, another thing. And this goes back to the last two episodes of to five and six. The, it, it showed this documentary shows that the media wasn't always completely in Michael's corner. And in this episode, you just, these two episodes, you just got some, some ridiculous headlines out of some of these things that are going on. I mean, I, I can't imagine on one hand, my father dying. And then next thing you know, there are headlines being printed that are trying to connect me to him just because I gamble. And I mean, and then on the, and you know that I agree with you in the sense that his father's death wasn't what made him retire, but it was, I think it, I think it started to say it was a factor. And also yeah. another factor is the media coverage and some of the stories that were printed that, basically doesn't, doesn't seem that like they had a leg to stand on, including the other notion that when Michael left, retired and went to play baseball, the backdoor story was David Cern s- suspended him for 18 months for gambling. So it's just, I mean, I can, I can understand if I, if I was Michael Jordan, I can see how that would really negatively Im- impact me because there's, there's some things that are just out of bounds unless you absolutely know these things for a fact and can back it up. And there wasn't anything that I saw that could corroborate what these reports were saying. And then you go back to the retirement. we got to remember, and this was brought up, people had a notion that Michael was going to retire at some point very soon during the Dream Team sequence. And I think Michael let, he let some people know, like I would have reti- retired right now. But the thing that was still driving him was the three-peat. Because Magic and Larry had won two in a row, and you can throw Isaiah – well, Larry hadn't won two in a row, I don't believe. I don't, I don't think Larry ever won two in a row. Magic and Isaiah Thomas, they both won two in a row. Michael wanted to exceed them and win three. So if that if that motivation wasn't there, we could have saw him exit the game even sooner. So – and then you talk about the baseball, which, of course, you know you know how much I love baseball, and I'm you know mm-hmm. glad we get to talk about it just briefly in and this and, – but mm-hmm. – you recall, this was a keynote. I didn't know. He started out pretty red hot when he played on a 13-game yeah. hitting streak. And then one of the things about baseball is you see guys from time to time come up and they'll have some instant success. And then what happens is it's a game of adjustments. And pitchers are going to adjust to what you're doing. And they said uh, he didn't see a fastball for about a month. And it took him a long time to adjust to the breaking stuff, to the off-speed stuff. But eventually he kept improving. And his work ethic – was just the same that his his work ethic that he had in basketball was the same. He he applied that in baseball, and yeah. there was a belief that if he had continued and have stuck with baseball, he could have made it to the major leagues one day. We know that's not how it it turned out, but what a testament to his work ethic and his athletic ability that people thought that much of him that he would be that he had an opportunity to do that. And then you look at the return, and I think some people may that Eastern Conference finals or Eastern Conference semifinals loss against Orlando when he returned. I think some people may want to hold that against him. Didn't have didn't have instant success right away when he came back, but you got to remember he only played 17 games that season. He came back very late and you could tell the conditioning was not there. The con- the baseball conditioning he was in a lot different than it was uh or is in basketball. So definitely definitely he needed that full off season to come back in 95-96 to really get back to being Michael Jordan.
1: Now, I got a question for you. So, I think because you got to think about it two ways. Let's say, had, had he won a championship and he came in, he would have got credit for the championship, right? He would have, yeah. He, he, I mean, it would have been another, you know, another accolade, a high accolade at that, that he wanted. So, I think it's, it's fair that he got a little criticism. I was surprised that he would come back in the middle of the season. He should, I thought he would did himself some adjustments and just waited till the season was over. Um, but I think that that comment, what to me, what really stuck out during that time was he started with 45. Nick Anderson made that comment saying, "Hey, 45 ain't 23, baby. I don't know who this is." Then he changed back into jersey, little spark a little bit, but we seen what happened. Orlando ended up still winning the series. So you know if he will if he's going to get the credit i think he had to get the blame as well
0: i think yeah, i think some blames i think some bl- you can give him some blame but also i think it is it is something that we can gloss over and give him it, i think it is excusable in some sense because it's not like he came back middle of the season 17 regular season games and you're you're not you haven't been training you've been in baseball condition and playing baseball and it people are making the point is his trainer making the point it's a it's a whole lot different and he needed that full offseason to get back to full strength and you can also say that loss because you remember Horace Grant you know coming in there flexing be like oh yeah we got him that loss was the worst thing that happened to the NBA because it set Mm -hmm. the stage for another three-peat because that loss you know fueled Jordan for the next three years and including the very next season they had the best season of all time yeah and second uh, today, to date, second best regular season, but they're still regarded as the best team of all time because they won the championship. They got the and, job done. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting in that fi- in that final series, and we touched on this a bit earlier, that George Carl waited to use Gary Payton uh, defensively against Michael until that hole was at three zero. A little bit too late by then, and we also I also believe I don't know if it would have made a difference, regardless whenever if he could start at game one, I mean, Michael would have eventually figured it out. same thing yeah. with you know Patrick Beverly trying to guard Kevin Durant. I mean, eventually he's going to get loose. you're not going to be able to stop him for an entire series. and oh, back to the Michael Jordan Steve Kerr thing, and I'm not going to get into exactly what happened, but the aftermath of that was their relationship was very positive right after that, that Steve Kerr standing up for himself. He earned Michael's respect. And they they had a great relationship from there on out. And Steve Kerr hit big shots for this team during during this stretch. So you can look at it as a positive.
1: Staying with the basketball world, ESPN has been passing the lockdown time by going through the top 74 NBA players of all time. The numbers they nod to the league's 74th year. This week, they dropped, their, they dropped their top ten with some surprises. Not much surprise at number one, however, as Jordan takes the top spot. LeBron follow at two, Kareem at three, and Russell and Magic round out the top five. Six through ten goes Wilt, Bird, Duncan, Kobe, and finally round out with Shaq. No doubt, this list comes with a little controversy. So let's hear it, Jay. How did? How did ESPN do with their top 10?
0: I think predominantly this is a very good list. And the first thing uh, I went to check is, okay, this is ESPN's top 10. Let's go through, you know, let's look at 11 on down to maybe, you know, 20 perhaps and see if anybody got left out. And I don't think anybody got left out. I think this is a fair uh, assessment of the 10 best players of all time. Uh, when it's all said and done, and some of these other guys, their careers are over. Maybe they'll have a chance to crack it. I'm talking about specifically guys like KD and uh, Steph Curry, but we'll see. We'll see how their, career, their careers continue to progress. But overall, this is a solid list. I definitely agree with Michael Jordan and LeBron being one and two, and after that, it's just a matter of you know just moving some guys around. I've got Bill Russell third. I think when we think about Michael Jordan and giving him credit for the six for six. Uh, Bill Russell, I mean, the, really the ultimate winner in, in NBA history. I mean, this guy won 11 championships in 13 years. At one point, I think they won nine straight. I mean, even during that time frame with, you know, less teams, that's that's still 11. 11 still 11. It's I think it's in, in some ways it's, it's unthinkable that you could win that many times. So yeah. especially when you take into consideration Wilt Chamberlain was around at the same time and Bill Russell was able to do what he was, he was able to do. Uh, speaking of Wilt, I got him at five, but I got Kareem Abdul uh, Kareem at uh, number four, uh, all-time leading scorer in the NBA. And you made the point uh, earlier; I think it's a valid one. And we'll see if this, uh, if his scoring, if his uh, all-time scoring record continues to stand with the evolution, with the uh, three-point shooting increases that we continue to see, with the, the the increase of pace. If one day that somebody can break this record uh, from the guard position, I think it's something that could be reasonable. Uh, moving forward but uh, I got Wilt Chamberlain at number five and then moving on down six through ten I got I got Kobe at number six I think he's the closest thing we've seen to the best player of all time got he he's got five championships played 20 seasons in LA uh, you know the competitive mindset he had that drive that mama mentality we talk about it and I th- I, I think he's the greatest Laker of all time when you talk about playing an entire career there and then I got magic right behind him at seven, but another five championships, pro- probably the best point guard that we've ever seen in the NBA and Larry Bird right along with him at eight. Uh, those guys dominated that stretch in the eighties and had some epic matchups. And then man, you talk about what a, what a competitive group of guys in here at the center position when Shaq is your fourth best center, but still the most dominant force we've seen in the modern NBA and really I mean referees referees kind of changed they had to alter the way they called games to keep games moving because there was a foul every play against this guy would have been a lot more missed free throws too probably but you know and then and then Tim Duncan the big fundamental probably the least amount of splash among any of these guys and that's probably why I've got him so low but I mean he's he's a top 10 player and and it's it's a little bit it's not a little non-competitive among this, these guys because of the positions, but he's the best power forward of all time. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Listen, I didn't have a huge problem with the top ten that the ESPN rolled out, but like you said, my list is a little different, and it goes as such. You know, number one, I got Jordan. Be- before I roll into it, I did want to say, listen, when I made this list, this is how I thought about it. I said, I thought to myself, what did, this play, what did these players do for the NBA? Because if you're going to say top ten players of all time, top, top NBA players of all time, then they had to do something for the NBA. I mean, because if that was the case, if you're going to give me some bullcrap ring argument, that's gone ahead and bring Robert Ori in here and, and some, some other guy that, that, you know, rode coattails for their whole career. Not saying, you know, they're bombs, but we're talking about guys that changed the game. So with that said, when would Michael Jordan? Self-explanatory. The guy took the NBA to the next level. He was literally the most popular guy in the world in the late 80s and during most of the 90s. It's not even close. He, I mean, with the shoes, with the clothes, with the commercials, the movies, you name it. The reason players like LeBron and et cetera, et cetera, can do what they do today is because, Jordan, he laid that foundation. And, and listen, we know he was an assassin on the court. It's nothing about it. Hey, hey, Jordan, who going to take the last shot? <laughs> who you take? Me, of course. So we know what he brings. We know what he's about. Number two, LeBron. Listen, some people say LeBron the GOAT already. He might, I think he, he has a little more work to do. But when it comes to off the court, LeBron has taken the NBA to the next level. When it comes to dealing with this social media era that, era that we're in right now, when, when you get out of the bed in the morning, it's probably a camera in your, in your window trying to catch what you're doing because you have zero privacy. Everything is public domain that they think. So LeBron has carried that torch that LeBron, he laid it down, and LeBron has been the guy to carry it on. Now I'm not saying... He was like the carbon copy of Jordan, because that would be a bold-faced lie. I'm gonna talk about a guy that meets that criteria, but we know that when it comes to the game when it comes to the game outside of the game, LeBron has been bar none. He's been a true ambassador of today's game, and it is what it is. Number three, Magic Johnson. Now I will say this with Magic Johnson: he he's gonna go down as probably the best point guard, even though we know in his first year. He did play the center position that just show you his greatness. But I think him and Larry Bird, which are going to come later in my list, they're connected at the hip a little bit. Why? Because we know when those guys came into the league, the NBA wasn't all that popular, if you even want to call it popular, at the time. And these two guys, they saved the game of the NBA. They did. Whether you want to pin it black versus white, you know this part of the United States versus this part of the United States. However, you want to pin it, you we owe we owe basketball still standing around for Jordan to come in to uh Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. It's just the bottom line. Those matchups they had in the '80s kept people intrigued, kept them hanging around. And like I said, Magic would go down as probably the best point guard. You heard it from Michael Jordan in the documentary. Even though you like, he's very versatile, but he's probably gonna go down as the best point guard in the game. Then, Kareem, uh, listen, you we talked about this before the show. Kareem played from 1969 to 1989, 20 years, he is number one in scoring history, folks. We're in year 2020. Do you understand how much basketball they may play during this time? Michael Jordan it came through. Magic it came through. Kobe it came through. LeBron it came through. Kevin Durant still playing. So, all these players came through, and Kareem is still number one. You got to understand the magnitude of that. If you don't, just stop. stop don't even watch any more NBA. That is incredible when you think about it. That is a lot of scoring. They call him the captain. Um, I I just – he created the skyhook. I mean, you still see players now that do the skyhook. That was Kareem's move. He made that popular. He made that move what it was. Uh, And, listen, I I just got to give kudos to a guy that's leading the NBA in all-time scoring and that stopped playing in 1989. He stopped playing before Michael Jordan won his first NBA title, and he's still leading the NBA – and all-time scoring, Incredible. Number five came in, Larry Bird. Like I told you about Magic, Larry Bird probably one of the best three-point shooters. Um, I think it, his three-point shooting gets underrated. His assists gets underrated because of the time that he played. But listen, Larry Bird was a straight assassin. Like I said, him and Magic in tandem, they saved the NBA. Those uh, Boston Celtics versus uh, L.A. Lakers games is what kept the NBA afloat. Doing you know during the eighties, the seventies, and the eighties, and all that. So these guys got you know in the older end, and then Al Jordan came and gone. He you know he got him out of there. It was what it was. But by that time, these two gentlemen had already made their mark. So I had Larry Bird at five, and then I the reason I got Kobe at six. Listen, I'm not trying to under you know undermine anything Kobe accomplished in his NBA career. Five time champ. Listen, hell of a competitor. But my problem with Kobe is this. Until you can give me something where Kobe changed the landscape of the NBA on his own, I'm I'm sorry. A lot of what Kobe did, he was a carbon copy of Mike. So because he was a carbon copy of Mike, I'm going to say he was second best player? No. He was a, he was a hell of a player. I love Kobe. Kobe one of my favorite all-time players. But I've seen everything he done before. It was just like it was like Mike. The only difference is is he did have to go over that he had to come over the advers- the adversity of Shaq leaving. He had to rebuild a team around him. And he got two more titles out of it. But at the end of the day, he was he was a better, you know what I'm saying? He was a younger version of Mike. And we as we seen in the documentary, we seen why. They talked a lot. They was best friends. It was the, the you know big brother, little brother relationship. So no faults of that. That's not bad. But I'm just saying, like, he, I didn't see where he changed the NBA when he played. Tim Duncan, the only power forward in the top ten, and by most accounts, the best power forward to ever play this game. Now, I didn't say he was a a siding guy to go out with, but he did what he did on the court. He was about as bland as uh, uncooked rice. We know this, but he was a winner. Got drafted in 1997, and the Spurs ain't been a losing team since. So. That, has a, that says a lot about Tim Duncan. And In fact, you, you said this earlier, Jay, we got four centers on this list. But Tim Duncan is the only power forward in the top 10. So that says a lot when you see something like that because guys that's a lot more experience than me and you are saying this dude was good. He was the, the creme de la creme when it came to power forward. Best power forward all time. Number eight, I had Shaq. You said it. I feel like if you're a player, and they create rules just because of you, that's impacting the game. We have Hacker Shaq to this day because of Shaq. Bar none, that is a legitimate rule, that is a legitimate strategy that teams use to try to win the game at all costs because of Shaq. That puts you in the top 10 pretty much because they are making rules for you, it is what it is. And speaking of making rules, Will Chainlink coming in at, at number nine, oh, yeah, three seconds in the key? Yeah, go ahead and give that to Wilt Chamberlain because I guess he was, during his day, he was pitching tents in the paint and there wasn't nothing people was doing about it. Um, my only problem with Will Chamberlain is this. Pro- he possibly deserves to be high. When I look at his career stats, they are gaudy, but can somebody give me some rolling tape for Wilt Chamberlain? Can somebody give me something where he's actually balling I don't want to see a picture of him holding up something. I don't want to see a picture of him with like eight women. I want to see him actually balling on the court because that's my problem. Him and and the guy I got coming in at 10, Bill Russell, like you said, the ultimate winner, they played around the same time. And you brought this point up earlier. The reason Wilton don't got more rings is because of Bill Russell. Well, why I can see Bill Russell playing I can see tape of Hill playing, but I can't see tape of Wilt playing. What is this? Like, was it copyright infringement to record Wilt playing? I didn't. What? What's going on? So you got Bill Russell, the ultimate winner, 11 out of 13, and Bill Russell, right? He's significant to me because here's a, a, a you know a young African American guy that was coming into the league, you know, in the 50s, and your, your best believe, It wasn't welcome with open arms at no means was they just lining up and say, come on in, Bill, you're one of the guys. I'm pretty sure it was pretty rough. If you remember back when – and they showed this in, like, the – I want to say the O.J. Simpson documentary. It was, like, him and um, Jim Brown and Kareem and Muhammad Ali. They, you know, they was was building a coalition to, to, you know, try to help the African-American athlete because they was getting treated like third world citizens at the time. He was part of that. So, he was and he was also the first player to, you know, become, you know, a player coach. He was legitimately a coach, but he still wore the uniform. And that opened the door for guys that do that now, the Haslams, you know. He's now he's doing the same thing down in Miami right now. He on the team as a player, but he's pretty much a coach. He's just soaking in the knowledge. So, you know, Bill Russell brought that in and um between him and Red all Allback, you know they they did what they did. So yeah, man, um, that's my top ten. Like I said, Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Kareem, Bird, Kobe, Duncan, Shaq, Wilt, and and Russell at the end.
0: So last weekend, the sports world got its first taste of return with UFC two forty nine in Jacksonville. We got more UFC events that are going to take place this week, and NASCAR is expected to race again soon. However, for the four big sports leagues, it's not as easy. The NFL has gracefully moved through the COVID situation, but they got the luxury of time. Major League Baseball should have started in late March. The NBA has been on hold for over two months now, and both leagues are scrambling to find a way to restart sooner rather than later. So now Major League Baseball is roughly shooting for July 4th with an 82-game regular season, and they'll have an expanded playoff field with 14 teams. Meanwhile, the NBA is expected to drop a decision in the next few weeks with a wide range of possibilities from canceling the season to playing all the remaining games at a single location. So a drink question here is, which league is under more pressure to get back and why? Well, <clears throat> first I want to caveat by saying both leagues
1: probably, but listen, it's the NBA and it, it, this is not even close. It's the NBA by a mile. Um, one, the NBA is it, it's more popular. It generates more money. And the NBA actually got its season suspended while it was in season, which, you know, it affected all parties that's involved in the NBA machine. Uh, I think the likes of the MLB, the NFL, the NCAA football, they all caught a break um, when it comes to preparing for the COVID-19. Because it's a lot easier to prepare for something before the season than it is during the season. So I think they caught a break. They can just – I I like to like it uh, to – some leagues was proactive. That's where MLB is right now. And then some leagues was reactive. And that's where the NBA is right now. Um, It is what it is. You pay a lot of people a lot of money to figure that out. But um, it's it's definitely the NBA, especially if the NBA cannot figure out how to – Carry on the season with a playoffs. If they don't play a playoff, are you kidding me? The NBA might not play a playoff. And we all know the playoffs is big business for any sport. That's, that's big business. So to not be able to play a playoff, that is gonna have huge implications for next year and the year after and so on and so forth. Well, the MLB, they like I said, they get a break. So they already made some adjustments due to COVID 19. Hey, we're not going to play 100 in whatever games. We're going to play 82. Hey, we're going to let more teams into the playoffs. They can adjust as the months go by. They could just keep adjusting, keep adjusting, keep adjusting until opening day. Get your popcorn ready, folks, where the NBA, don't, they don't have that luxury. I mean, right now they're trying to figure out, as you was telling me earlier, they got two locations that they're looking at. They're trying to figure out, do they want to play in Las Vegas? Do they want to play in Florida? How can we do this and maintain safety? What happened to the teams that was on their way into the playoffs that might not get to uh, fight their way for a final spot? What happened to them now? What do they do? Like, baseball doesn't have that word right now. Are they losing money? Yeah, they lose money. But nothing to the, the effect of what the NBA is dealing with right now. They're just trying to save the rest of their season. So, I definitely think it's the NBA at this point, um, but like I said, I think the MLB that they, they they are dealing with some all the sports leagues in general are dealing with some po- some problems. But listen, the MLB ain't worried about their playoffs getting canceled yet. They ain't worried about like not seeing the season at all, whereas like the NBA is. And like I said, the NBA is I understand don't take this as a slight to baseball, but the NBA is more popular than Major League Baseball. Let's be serious here. If you took a poll right now and you said, which sport do you want to see come back out of the NBA and MLB, it would be hard-pressed for me to believe that MLB will win that conversation. America pastime, I got it, but the NBA is a lot more popular. People want to see the NBA a lot more. A lot more. They got the stars, they got I mean, the best player in MLB is, what, possibly Mike Trout. And you can not tell me what Mike Trout looked like if he walked in, in between the screen right now. Whereas you got these stars in the NBA, like they can't even go outside in their front yard and pick up a newspaper. So we, we know that, I mean, it's not, it's, not a, um, it's not an even balance in between the two sports. So with all that said, the NBA is under more pressure, and I hope it come back.
0: Yeah, just a quick uh point on on the Mike Trout piece. You, you, you might recognize Mike Trout if he was in the playoffs, but Angels don't have a habit of getting there. So, maybe that's part of the issue with that. Um but yeah, the I I completely agree with you in this sense. The the, the pressure here is on is on the NBA and I think it would be a, it would be a it'd be a black eye for the league overall if March 11th was the end and the Rudy Gobert test is our lasting memory of this NBA season. And there's just, there's just no champion. It's just a suspended season. And it's, it's, you know, we talked the, the, we know the NCAA tournament was kanked and that that's, that, that's tough to hear. That's that's still tough to swallow. But I mean, those, those are, those are college. those are still college students at the end of the day. These are, these are professionals and this is, they they get paid to do this. So, I mean, this, this would just be, it's hard. And it's hard to imagine me, imagine that, the season not getting back in some way, shape or form based on a board of governors meeting that they had this week that I think there's a, there's some positive energy now that, that this will get back underway. They're going to figure this out. They're still, you know, going through details. There's still some planning and studying that's going on uh, from what, from, from what I've gathered, 22 of 30 NBA facilities will be open by Monday. That that's certainly got to be a positive step in the right direction. But, and this is something I've talked about the in, pretty much the entire time. This is, this is going to be all about testing because you gotta have, you know, you gotta ensure the safety of your employees. That's gotta be a, a major priority. You can't just have, you know, people not tested and you don't know if someone's infected because there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic that they don't have symptoms, so they're just gonna assume everything's good. And, but you still have to test everybody because being asymptomatic, you can still spread it to someone else and that's, you know, you don't want that to happen. So they gotta take great care, make sure they got the testing capacity and ultimately I think that's something that you can, they can have happen. I think I think that's reasonable within the next month that we can see that. And I think the the two locations they're looking at, Orlando and Vegas, and we had this discussion earlier. I don't know if you I don't know if this is something the NBA is entertaining, but perhaps Eastern Conference teams play games or play your tune up games in Florida and your playoffs. You could have the entire Eastern Conference playoffs in Florida and the Western Conference could have Vegas. And the goal, if you whatever tune up regular season games that you have, or whatever they're gonna, uh, you know, refer to them as, that just have no interconference games. There's gonna be no Miami playing LA, no Boston playing uh, Sagittal, Houston. None of um, none of that action. Yeah. It's just gonna be all conference first and conference until the NBA finals. I think that'd be something that's interesting. One thing I don't want to have happen is everybody playing in Vegas, and every every tip time is like 10:30 at night let me stand to one thirty to watch every game. That's just, you know, that's just a little East coast bias, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. But I think this is going to happen for the NBA. I think they need it to happen. Uh, I think, I think, you know, to take it even further to players, I think LeBron James need this. When you talk about legacy, this is, this is, this is an opportunity for LeBron to win another championship and continue to cement his legacy and strengthen his argument among the, you know, for the, he's a, he's a top two player of all time right now. And, you know, of course, some people already have their minds made up, and they're probably never going to change. But to people who are still open minded, you can sway some more votes winning your fourth championship. That's something that's a reasonable th- thing to have happened. And to have the season just end right now. That, that's got to hurt. That's got to hurt. In some ways, it's got to hurt LeBron fans who believe he still needs a little bit more. But that's just, you know, that's just a that 's definitely less of importance in this overall thing. number one, the number one importance has got to be the safety and it 's got to be the testing that 's got to be what they have to take into consideration the most and make sure they 've got that down pat but Meanwhile major league baseball it 's not like it 's unimportant to these guys, but it 's an opportunity for them because if they can get their, if they can get their sport up and running before before basketball gets back it 's an opportunity for major league baseball to have the stage to themselves, so to speak, among the major sports leagues. And the NBA would be their only competition right now. And I, I know baseball has, you know, they have the summertime where they're really the only sport that's going on, but it's kind of, that, that kind of time is kind of looked at as the off season for sports in general. The time between the NBA finals inning and the NFL and college football getting going, it's kind of like a dead zone. Like if you're not watching baseball, you're really not doing much. But, this is, this is a real chance for Major League Baseball because there's a, you talk about the, the words pent-up demand are getting used more and more frequently in terms of the economy. There's pent-up demand right now for sports. And I'm going to tell you, baseball, regardless if you're kind of like, uh, oh, baseball is boring or whatever, there, people, there are going to be more people watching baseball because they're just looking for something. They need something. So this is a, it's a great opportunity for baseball to have an uptick in ratings and have an uptick in interest. Uh, There's obviously some things they're still looking at. They're kind of in the same situation as the NBA as far as getting everything up and running. Uh, But Major League Baseball is looking at playing uh, using home stadiums um, for at least in places where local governments have, you know, relinquished some of the restrictions and open things up. Um, That's something interesting because that's still going to entail a lot of travel. Uh, I think it would be smarter to kind of go back to what, uh, you know, Florida and Arizona are the spring training locations. I would look at a single or two locations for for uh, playing these games to just decrease the travel. Uh, not sure that, that that's where they're going, but testing, huge uh, a huge issue that they're looking at as well. They want to, they want to be able to test uh, players multiple times a week. Uh, they're looking at having a, a lab in Utah run those tests. It's a lab that's being strictly used to run uh, COVID-19 tests. And another, another key point in all these things is we know this thing got shut down because of one positive test, because this is what happened to Rudy Gobert and everybody just shut this thing down real quick. And it's already, to my understanding, it's already been talked about that a single te- a single positive test isn't going to shut everything down. That's it's unclear how many positive tests would need to occur for both these leagues to kind of like, oh, well, that's, that's a little too much. Now we got to pump the brakes again. But I think that's a positive development. One positive test isn't going to kill this thing. Uh, There's still going to be steps made in place. You're still going to have your quarantines. They're going to need, at least in baseball's perspective, they're going to need to get back on the playing field. You're going to have to test negative twice in a 24-hour span before they're going to feel comfortable putting you on a field to play. But that's a positive sign I'm looking at, that one single negative test isn't going to blow this thing up and shut everything down. I think that's a positive thing.
1: The Packers made waves last month in the 2020 NFL Draft, selecting Utah State quarterback Jordan Love in the first round. The move was widely panned and questioned due to Aaron Rodgers' current status as the starting quarterback and having just signed a big contract extension. Friday, the guy Rodgers replaced, no other than Brent Favre, added a few thoughts to the situation late last week. Favre said that Rodgers shouldn't go out of his way to help Jordan Love, but should look to show him a thing or two if asked, just like he did with Rodgers back in 2005. Forbes said he offered to watch film and Rodgers would come along, but never went on his way to invite Rodgers to join. The Packers legend wrapped up by saying Rodgers have no reason to fear anything and that he saw no signs of Rodgers slowing down. So with that said, Jay, do you think Rodgers have an obligation to mentor Jordan
0: Love? Yeah, I'm one of those guys uh, that have been all over the Packers from the very beginning in this. Uh, I still don't yeah. understand this move. Um, it's still a head-scratcher. Aaron Rodgers still among the best quarterbacks in this league. Uh, but th- th- this there's a hard line in this question because you can take this, you know, far left or far right, depending on where you want to go. Um, that To me, there's, I don't think Aaron Rodgers doesn't have an obligation to – mentor jordan love it's not, it's not it's not something that they're going to throw in his contract and he's going to have to do that's just silly his first and foremost priority is going to be to continue to win games because at this at this point in time he's not in danger of losing his job or at least he shouldn't be he's still highly productive and the green bay packers uh again we're just in the nfc championship game largely because of how of how good aaron Rodgers is with i'm going to say this again with one legitimate wide receiver i'm going to say it at a uh at a not a, an anim- quite an animated tone as I have previously, but one legitimate receiver in Devontae Adams. But I'm not gonna, we're not gonna sit here and say Aaron Rodgers is gonna be completely unhelpful to Jordan Love, but it's gonna be one of those situations where if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I got Jordan Love here that uh, just, got, just got to the team. Aaron Rodgers isn't isn't. It's not on him to hold Jordan Love's hand all the way through the process and just absolutely ensure that Jordan Love, you know, gets a hang of the offense and is having a good time and getting all his answers, questions, all the questions answered that he has. Uh, The Green Bay Packers have what every NFL team has, uh, and every other professional sports team has. They have coaches. uh, They have a quarterbacks coach. um, So those guys will be instrumental in bringing. Jordan Love along and th- those are the matter of fact and I will say this um it better be the coaches that bring Jordan Love along because uh people's job security are going to hinge on this move when it's all said and done make no mistake about it uh the general manager uh he's on the clock already in my estimation and whenever Aaron Rodgers is done and especially if they use this out in a couple years they, if they use that out and decide to not bring Aaron Rodgers back oh yeah you better hope—you hope. You better hope that them coaches have done their job and gotten this guy spun up. It's not, gonna, it's not Aaron Rodgers' responsibility. Now, what I will say on the flip side of that is if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I have some negative feelings about this, and I got to believe there is some negative vibe, even though I think he re- released a statement earlier today, and it was pretty, pretty politically correct, I believe. So he didn't say anything um, overly blasphemous against the organization. Uh, I believe it was kind of, it was pretty much, a, it was a balanced statement said, I understand the organization, you know, kind of look into the future. But but with that being said, I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to, if Jordan Love has a question and approaches Aaron Rodgers about something, hey, hey, Aaron, what'd you see in, in that coverage there that made you make that decision? Or why did you audible to a run right here? Like, what are you seeing out there? I think Aaron Rodgers is going to answer those questions. I don't think he's just going to turn a blind eye and just not help him. But I, don't, I think it's got to be on Jordan Love to initiate those discussions. Like, it's not going to be on Aaron Rodgers to, you know, be his teacher. That, that, I don't think that's what's, that's what's going to happen. But I think, it, again, this is, it's going to be about Jordan Love and how he initiates those discussions. But again, th- this is no fault of Jordan Love. Like, Jordan Love didn't ask to be drafted by Green Bay. The Green Bay management and the Green Bay coaches between Brian Gutekus and Matt Lafleur, they made this discussion. So I, I, I can't see Aaron Rodgers just taking whatever feelings he have and shoving them on Jordan Love and making him suffer because of it. I don't think he's going to do that.
1: And, and just caveat how you ended that, you're right. Jordan Love didn't ask to be drafted. I mean, he didn't ask to be in this situation, but he did ask to be drafted as part of, you know, going from the collegiate to the professional level hey, you got to grow up. You got to get with the program. And I say that to say this. My opinion on this whole situation is very short and to the point. One, I do agree with Brett. This is not on Rogers. Rogers is not a teacher. If he wanted to be a teacher, he'll be teaching your local kid at some school. It's not his job. Now, if like, like Farb said, if I'm going to a film study and love comes up to me, because at the end of the day, my opinion is this the onus is on Jordan Love. If he's the first round pick that you say he is, then this shouldn't be a problem, to be perfectly honest with you. Because as bad as the relationship between Favre and Rodgers was, when Rodgers finally got to play, it wasn't a problem. You know why? Because Rodgers was good. Rodgers did what he had to do before he took the snaps. So this is a move point unless Jordan Love it's not the player that you thought he was when you drafted him and now you done waste all this capital and you get nothing in return, right? This young man got to understand this. He has to understand. My mom used to tell me this, right? When, when I wanted to get something and I didn't say nothing, she used to always say, hey, Nate, listen, a closed mouth don't get fed. Last time I checked, I can't read a brain. Like, I can only react to what you give me. So you have to say something if you want a certain reaction to it. So with that said, if Jordan Love is running around here, you know, reading the newspaper clippings instead of been in the film room, or if he's running around here playing the victim role because he's the new guy on the block, listen, I don't, don't want to hear that, you know, hey, he didn't ask for this. Well, he wanted to get drafted. He wanted to be a first-round pick, and now he's here. So, we need you to come on with it. You need to be on Farr's behind saying, hey, I mean, not Farr, I'm sorry, on Rogers behind saying, hey, 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 Rob, hey, when you go on that film study, can I go with you? Hey, yeah, come on, sh- sure, hey, no problem. Hey, man, if you're going to throw some balls around, you mind about, you know, come out there with you and throw some balls around. Now, I know we, with the COVID 19, that might not be the most popular take for that. But at the end of the day, that is how you get better in the game, you learn. You use you use your two ears more than your one mouth. That's why you got two of them. You use your two eyes more than your one mouth. You listen, you look, you learn, you come with the experience. Now, with all that said, let's say, you know, if love was to go to Rogers and say, hey man, I want to do some film study. I ain't, hey, I ain't got time for that. You can miss me with that. Now, if Rogers is treating them like that, now that's a whole different dynamic. And Rogers should be ashamed of himself. But if he you know, if he's going to film study and he don't knock, you know, hey, hey, Jordan, you wanna come and join me? That's not his job. We're professionals. You getting paid millions of dollars, Bucko. You might want to figure out where I'm at, or you might want to just go to do film study on your own. And if I show up and you got questions, hey, pull out the notepad. Let's get it, let's get it popping. You know, that can happen. But at, at the end of the day, my, my whole opinion on this is Hey, Jordan Love, you got drafted into a situation. How will you respond to this situation? I don't care what Aaron Rodgers would do. I don't care what Brent Favre talking about. How will you respond to this? Because at the end of the day, the Packers went out on a limb to draft you in the first round when they didn't even need you. So are you going to reward the Packers? Or are you going to spit in their face and become, become a mistake rather than an award? So, yeah, in, in my opinion, yeah, Jordan Love is the X factor in his whole situation to me.
0: All right, time to finish off with rapid reaction. A lot of topics in a little bit of time. Take it away, Drink. All right, baby, let's roll. Gi-
1: Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker and Seattle's cornerback Quinn Dunbar were both wanted in South Florida on four counts of armed robbery. What's your thoughts about this,
0: man? you know it's almost surprising that we haven't seen you know not to this degree but we haven't seen more you know misconduct and you know criminal activity because these guys you know are subject to the the lockdowns and the coronavirus um restrictions just like everybody else but uh it goes back to you know the old saying that uh you've laid out multiple times uh I don't mind is a, is the a devil's workshop so yeah uh 53 year old former Undisputed heavyweight champion Mike Tyson and 57-year-old former heavyweight champ Evander Holyfield are in talks for a trilogy fight. Would that interest you at all, Drink?
1: Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind this as an exhibition, you know, these guys coming out there, you know, just hitting, you know, just kind of running around, just, just because they're two legends. At the end of the day, these are Hall of Famers, they're legends. Uh, so I wouldn't mind that, but I don't care for it to be an actual boxing match that actually counts. I don't care for it. You you heard, you said the ages they're both past their prime, uh, but listen, here's the deal: if they do decide to do something, if they agree to something, people will watch because they're two two legends. So that could be interesting, but I'm I'm hoping not. To answer the question, Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland said he's open to hosting professional sports events on the Gators
0: campus. Are you in favor of this? Yeah, I am in favor of this. And just to an overall point, I like hearing this type of mentality. As opposed to, like, a lot of people come up with reasons not to do something and keep, this, keep some stuff locked down. This guy's mm-hmm. trying to be a part of the solution, and I really appreciate that. So, props to the Florida Athletic Director. Recently, the Pro Football Focus released its All-Decade team, in which it had Russell Wilson, 33rd on the list, behind the likes of Gronk, Patrick Willis, and former Seahawks teammate Richard Sherman. A little low on the list, right? Yo, listen,
1: I I know Russell Wilson at this point is saying I'm used to get, getting this disrespect, but come on, man. This, this disrespect, look, just look at some of the names that Patrick Willis didn't even play half of the decade. What are we talking about here? Like, Grump missed so many games in a decade. You going to tell me Richard Sherman was a better quarterback than Russell Wilson was a quarterback during the decade? I, I just, I don't know, man. Um. Listen, the dude having missed many snaps, if any, throughout the decade, then put up great numbers over the last decade. So, yeah, man, this is massively disrespectful, actually. Major League Baseball plans to hold a remote draft June 10th and June 11th. Good
0: idea? Yeah, yeah I think it's the way you got to go. And the NFL, you know, they just had that draft, you know, a couple weeks ago and it went, went, through, uh, went through pretty successfully. So, you know, just a copycat idea. I think it's, a, But I think it's the right decision to make. Last Saturday, UFC 249 took place in the main event of Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight title. What were your thoughts on the fight, Drink?
1: Listen, um, <clears throat> one, my initial thought is for any fighter that think they can go out here and do two weight cuts, you, you're out of here. I, I think the two weight cuts, they killed Ferguson, man. He didn't look himself. They had a big effect on his performance. He was slow. He was sluggish. And if it wasn't for his chin being tougher than a $2 stake, if the fight would have got stopped earlier. Um, he, he, I mean, it was a, a, a test to his toughness that he lasted as long as he did. Hey, and, and look, congratulations is owed to Justin Gaethje. He came, he came with the smoke from the opening bell, so it was a well-deserved win, and now he get to call his shot. Legendary Rams running back Eric Dixon said, the team's new uniforms, look, <laughs> they look soft. Do you agree?
0: <laughs> I really, to be honest, I don't have much of an opinion on the uniforms, but I mean, they'll look, they'll look soft next season just by the way they play and the fact that there's a real possibility they could be in last place in that division. Ooh. There are rumblings coming from the NCAA football community that Alabama might have to change their first opponent of the season from Southern California to TCU due to COVID-19. Does that bother you at all, Drink?
1: No, it doesn't. Um, I just hope that it, the powers at be that they make a decision soon so these players can mentally prepare for whichever team that they eventually do play in a season opener. Saints coach Sean Payton said the NFL wasn't ready to handle the pass interference replays this past season. You agree or disagree?
0: Uh, I absolutely disagree, and uh, I'm surprised that this type of comment came from Sean Payton. Uh, the NFL, listen, they were prepared, they were prepared but um, they weren't prepared to take this seriously. We we know the NFL what did what didn't take this seriously all season. We saw some of the obvious pass interference calls, whether it was a no call or a call that didn't get overturned. NFL had no they had absolutely no um, legitimacy or real reason to make this uh, a long term uh, rule change, and we're not going to see this again because they made a joke out of it. Last one tomorrow evening on ESPN. And ESPN Plus in Jacksonville, Florida, it's a UFC heavyweight main event between the eighth-ranked heavyweight contender uh, Alistair Overeem and the ninth-ranked contender Walt Harris. What do you got, Drink?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Walt Harris on this one. He's the youngest of the two. He possesses a good amount of power in both fists. And at this point, I'm just looking at Overeem as a gatekeeper for the heavyweight division. I don't, you know, I just don't expect much out of him at this point all right well that concludes today's drink of wisdom i'm jay wise and i'm nathan drinking and remember make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday and you know what we gonna do we gonna holler at you until next time baby